Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and dedicated to being in right relationship with one another, with ourselves and with the planet. We welcome you this morning. Glad you're here. Please let us know where you're here from in the comments. We come from a heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so when we greet one another, we think of it as the spark of the divine in us, greeting the spark of the divine in everyone else. Join me in saying our chalice lighting. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship comes to us today from Denise Levertov, a British-born American poet of the mid-20th century. These are her words. In the dark I rest, unready for the light which dawns day after day, eager to be shared. Black silk, shelter me. I need more of the night before I open eyes and heart to illumination. I must still grow in the dark like a root, not ready. Not ready at all. This congregation wrote a mission for itself. It guides us as we make decisions to move into the future together. We like to say it together every Sunday. We even wrote it on the wall of our sanctuary. Together, we nourish souls transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. After every mission statement, we have a moment for beloved community where we explore what it might mean for us. This church made goals for itself, which we call our ends policies. And one of them, number six, is to dismantle systems of oppression, including white supremacy and patriarchy, wherever we find them. The board is hosting Beloved Community Conversations, which start on January 31st. You can come to one of them, or you can come to all of them. Um, there will be two options each week. I'm reading my notes so I get this right. One as a breakout during coffee hour right after the service, and the second will be on a different evening each week to allow maximum opportunities for participation. Sign-up information will be shared via the weekly Friday email. I would love for you to participate in one of these conversations. I think you will find it deep and fun and meaningful. And now I invite Kristen Ray from the Beloved Community Conversation Team to talk to you about why anti-racism is important to her. I remember learning two lessons as I was growing up. One was that there's no free lunch. What my parents meant by that is that you have to work for what you want. 
and the other is life isn't fair. And with a younger brother, that played out all the time. As I grew up, I continued to see examples of life not fair. In middle school and in high school, I lived in New Orleans and in New York City, and I saw different ways that different cultures could live together or not. In college, as a sociology major, I learned about the systems that allowed those disparities and different cultures that could be divided. Now, as an adult, I know life isn't always fair, but I don't think it has to be true all the time. It seems that access to good education, to nourishing food and clean water, access to safe neighborhoods and affordable health care should be available to every person in this country, if not the world. As I watched the events unfold following the murder of George Floyd, I wondered what it would take to right our systems to make them more fair and just. I don't really know the answer to that question. But I think that we might be, it might be helpful to talk about what that looks like and what we could do as a community that does justice to build a beloved community. It seems that there may be strength in numbers. And I wonder if we might need to do that work to get the free lunch. If not for our kids, then metaphorically to get things more right in our country. My question to you is, how can we work together to make things more fair. Our reading today is from American theologian, mystic, poet, social activist, and scholar, Thomas Merton, from his book, Dialogues with Silence, Prayers and Drawings. The true contemplative is not one who prepares his mind for a particular message that he wants or expects to hear, but is one who remains empty because he knows that he can never expect to anticipate the words that will transform his darkness into light. He does not even anticipate a special kind of transformation. He does not demand light instead of darkness. He waits on the word of God in silence. And when he is answered, it is not so much by a word that burst into his silence it is by his silence itself suddenly inexplicably revealing itself to him as a word of great power full of the voice of god let us use this time together to enter into the quietness in whatever way that we can in the place where we're listening to this service. Let us breathe together. Let us empty our minds, if we can, of all the lists and all the worries and all the fears. It's not that they're not important, but it's just that they're always there, and they're just thoughts. You can't let them go, but you can remind yourself that they're just thoughts. Let's breathe together. As we continue in a spirit of meditation and prayer, 
You're welcome to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination. In this time of growing light, when in Texas, spring is just right around the corner for us. And we're about to be showered with beauties of all kinds and gorgeous weather, which we have been having all winter because this is Texas. I wanted to say goodbye to the dark properly. I wanted to show it some respect and some love. People use darkness as a metaphor for ignorance or for bad things. But I want to tell you that darkness is as sacred as light. In the Jewish and Christian traditions, even in the book of Genesis, God creates day and night and calls them both good. The night is good. I have a friend who is such a compassionate person. And 
if anybody has anything wrong with them, she'll say, I'm holding you in white light. Now, there's nothing wrong with white light. I love white light as much as anybody else. White is the color with light um, that you get when you combine all the different colors of light. It becomes white light. Unlike pigment, which if you combine all the colors of pigment, you get black. So I said to her one day, I, I don't understand why it's always white light. I mean, I want you to hold me in the sacred dark. Because that just feels more healing. It feels more restful. I think they're both good. But sometimes you just want to rest in the dark. Um, Denise Levertov is a wonderful poet, I'm sure you know. And she wrote this. In the dark I rest, unready for the light which dawns day after day, eager to be shared. Black silk, shelter me. I need more of the night before I can open eyes and heart to illumination. I must still grow in the dark like a root, not ready. Not ready at all. Black silk, shelter me. The black silk of the darkness nurtures the growth of roots. Roots need darkness in order to grow and roots are what feed the plants and we're learning now that roots also in their tiny little forms can create an underground network where trees can uh, feed each other and where trees can warn one another of coming dangers and it's so magical to think of trees storing up sugars that they could use to fruit. I got this from Braiding Sweetgrass. It's a wonderful book and she writes about pecan trees this way. That the pecan trees that are more in the sun can make more sugars than the ones that are in the shade. And so they like to all fruit together. And so the ones who are in the sun store up sugars and share them with the ones in the shade so that at one time, they can all fruit together. It's a very communitarian in my mind. In the black silk of the dark, we can rest and repair ourselves. I think sometimes we're just not ready, either on a macro scale or a micro scale, just during the day. Sometimes we're just not ready for a great big lot of interaction and motion and ideas and a visual fiesta. Sometimes we just want to cocoon a little bit so that we can finish repairing what has been tattered. I also think of darkness as a metaphor for the Zen concept of don't know mind. Now, I'm far from a Zen practitioner, but I do read with interest. And so what you're going to get is not the expertise of a Zen practitioner. You're going to get uh, this, um, you know, white American lady who reads some about Buddhism and uh, struggles to understand. But given that... Um, don't know mind, I think, is supposed to be your mind before 
it's gotten flooded with concepts and ideas and fears and worries and um, attachments that can cause suffering. It's the clear, still, dark water of your mind before all of the turbulence. And Jack Cornfield, who is a, who is a Zen teacher and a Zen expert, says maybe you could get in touch with that a little bit just by becoming still and drawing your attention to your breath and your body and then asking yourself the question what is going to happen in 10 years and of course the obvious answer is I don't know so he says just sit with that not knowing for a while of course you don't know what's going to happen in 10 years nobody does And then you ask yourself maybe about a conflict in your world or in your life or in your family. And you say, what would be the best outcome of this? And a lot of times the answer is, I don't know. And sometimes you don't even know whether something that looks like a good thing is going to be a good thing or whether it's going to turn out not to be a good thing. And you can't follow the thread of it all the way through. You just don't know. And so even if someone says, what's the best that could happen in this situation? A lot of times, if you're really honest, you're going, I don't know. And that doesn't mean that you don't keep living. It doesn't mean that you don't keep moving forward. It just means that something that seemed like the wrong thing at the time could surprise you and turn out to have good fruits. Or it just means that you have to move forward given the information that you have at the time and given who you are at the time and there's not a lot of certainty with it and man we are addicted to certainty my mentor in counseling as I was learning to be a pastoral counselor used to say, Meg, don't just do something, stand there. You can do a lot of harm by flailing around when you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes you just have to not do something and stand there. I think that is a perfect thing to do in the darkness. Part of The reason why people don't like darkness is you can't see what's coming at you and you can't see where to put your foot and you might turn your ankle or you might step on a snake or who knows. I'm sure herpetologists will know the snakes are like under the rock at night or something. Um, Don't tweet at me about that. But um, just for example. And I think one of the things about this pandemic is that we have such a strong longing with part of ourselves to get back to normal we just want to get back to normal but with another part of ourselves there might be some pieces of this new situation that we're in that we're enjoying and also what this virus is doing for us is to just show us clearly how bad it was for many many people when things were normal for us And maybe we know some things now about the situation of our 
town and our country and our world. And maybe we can use this knowledge to move forward in a better way. And maybe we can just stand still a little bit until we do know. I'm sure you all saw the press conference where Dr. Fauci was talking about the difference between this administration and the last. And he, you know, he's just such a sweet, cheerful person. And he uh, said it was very liberating to be able to say, I, I don't know, and not have to guess. And that in this administration, he had the freedom just to say, I don't know, which is one of the pillars of wisdom. The ability to say, I don't know. I think what we've seen is that our system is pretty heavily weighted toward keeping the heavy footed in power. We have racism. We have sexism, we have patriarchy, we have classism, we have unchecked capitalism, and they're all writhing together in an ugly ball. It's difficult to pick them apart, so you just have to focus on one and try to pull it out and fix that one part. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do it, and that's okay. We move forward using the knowledge that we have, using the people that we are. We are going to make mistakes. I like to think of it as being healed rather than fixed. I think one of the things that we as individuals are really grasping now, and that our country is really grasping now, many of us, is that literally... My healing and your healing are bound up together. Literally, what sickens those among us with the least power sickens all of us. We've been saying that for years here in the Unitarian Universalist faith, but it is perfectly, literally clear to everybody right now. Let's not forget about that. And let's use this pandemic as a portal to the new world that we want to create. I want to conclude by reading you this wonderful part of this wonderful piece by Indian writer Arundhati Roy. Her piece in the Financial Times, when she talks about the pandemic as a portal. She says, what is this thing that has happened to us? It is a virus, yes, in and of itself, it holds no moral brief, but it is definitely more than a virus. Some believe it's God's way of bringing us to our senses. Others, that it's a Chinese conspiracy to take over the world. Whatever it is, coronavirus has made the mighty kneel and brought the world to a halt like nothing else could. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing to return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists. And in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we've built for ourselves. 
Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcasses of our prejudice and hatred, our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. We can imagine it together. We can talk about what it might look like. And we can fight for it. People of faith have a pretty clear mission right now in our country to move toward a better world. Some of us might not want to move yet. Some of us just want to stand there and get ourselves together and heal up. That's okay. It takes all of us. This congregation is a collection of many of us who want to be part of all of us. And we will now ask for and gratefully receive an offering of money because money fuels what this congregation needs to do. We are deeply grateful to you for your generous pledges and for paying on those pledges. And if you are not a member of this church and are just watching from another place, please, we would love to have your donation unless you belong to a different church and then donate to them, please. I invite you to join me now as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing with me if you care to. Come, come. Whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, ours is no caravan of despair. Come, yet again, come. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org